Good afternoon, slags. Good afternoon. We have a fashionable episode for you today. Oh, do we? All about fashion. The zeitgeist, if you will. Haute couture. Should we tell them what it is about? Oh, yeah. Briefly, I did a bit of research on preppy style Abercrombie and Fitch and Victoria's Secret in the downfall and rise of all of those. Yes. I did some research on shoes of the 2000s, Ugg boots, Crocs, and platform shoes, the rise and fall thereof. So tune in for those juicy details. Yes. If you want to support us more or hear more content, we have lots available on our Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash slag radio. Leslie has also now done some engineer hacking on spotify so if you want to access our bonus content on spotify you can also do that on there and you can get social with us on instagram at slag radio pod we also have a tiktok at slag radio you can also email us slag radio pod at gmail.com any questions comments love letters stories nudes needed nudes needed uh and then if you don't feel like supporting us on patreon you can always just leave us a review on spotify or apple podcasts five stars please always appreciated uh it's a thick episode for you today so strap (sighs) in slags Mm -hmm. strap Strap the fuck in i also consulted we consulted multiple multiple sources so much research so if you want to look at any of that further it's all going to be in the show notes enjoy hi i'm stella i'm leslie and you're tuned in to slag radio hit it First of all, would you rather get stuck in the desert or lost at sea? Oh, um, oh. Um, I think I would rather be stuck in the desert because you can't drink out on the ocean anywhere. Oh, I've, it's, I mean, I kind of want a life of pie adventure, you That's know, a, kind is, of a castaway a type thing, maybe a deserted island, but... I think ultimately desert, I could just walk, 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 and you'll find something eventually. Yeah. You can't even walk on the ocean. You have to like, you have to have a boat. Yeah. Uh, the way I'm thinking about it is like scarcity of food in the ocean. You could maybe do some fishing. fishing yeah. But I mean, also, I don't know if I have the skills, you know, enough to do that. And also in the des, the lack of water is quite jarring yeah but they're both kind of lacking in like fresh water to drink exactly i think i'd personally prefer the desert because i think the sea terrifies me i don't in like many ways. sitting waiting and on a boat i think i would do a whole lot you of just sitting, like sitting, sitting and waiting duck. the desert i think i could come nighttime walk run whatever yeah you know yeah but that's my decision yeah um i had a couple talking points just from the weekend oh cool me too a little bit so first. 
they unveiled a Martin Luther King Jr. statue in Boston. Have I you saw seen that. It? I did see that. It looks like a penis. It, from one angle, it's like great. It's looking yeah. so chill, so amazing. Mm-hmm. Hands coming together. On the other side, it looks like a, a, a shit, hand sort of holding a, a penis. penis. One of the two. Yeah. I just, why can't they just do a sculpture of his face, like his body yeah. with his face attached, like the rest of them? Yeah. I guess it's kind of artsy, but. Yeah. Eh, <laughs> I don't hate it. I just think it looks a little. Hmm. Yeah. I saw a tweet that said, looks like Shaq's girlfriend holding his dong. I just think they should have looked at it from all angles. I mean, that that's it looks an like an unforgivable angle. I don't penis, care yeah. what your intention was. You had to have walked 360 degrees around your artwork after <laughs> The thing is, it. I'm so sure they did. Yeah. So there was that. Then also, do you know the brand Maud? No, uh, Maud? Yes. M-A-U-D-E. M-A-U-D-E. They do I've like those fancy makeup? vibrators and oh um yeah I Dakota Johnson is like an owner of it oh she has stake in it yeah okay uh anyway they released a butt plug however they have called it an anal cone oh which I think is so jarring Why? so I just wanted to bring attention to that <laughs> it t- sounds like a medical device it, like it we is have a, to put the anal cone it's straight in. up a butt plug but yeah, for some reason like, like they've in their arty pretentiousness have decided to call it an anal cone no that's fucked up anyway no, so stupid. that was that those are my talking points <laughs> <laughs> um great how about you what have you what are you bringing to the table um so i went to johnny and i went to cj's yesterday we tried to get breakfast and at first we were like we probably should just save money make some food at home but of course we went back cj's by the way favorite mexican place to get breakfast in la it's the only place i've been and it's my favorite and i will not be going anywhere else. it's really delicious i actually almost texted you to go there yesterday yeah i mean it's it's like a great diner um but they were cash only that day. Ooh. We went to get an ATM. They did, their ATM was broken. We were like, okay, Ooh. this is a sign. We have to branch out. So we went to this other place um, on our street, which is supposed to be this great place for like soul food and breakfast. Yeah. And it was, but <laughs> I just had like a, such a bad experience eating there. Like they brought us our waffles, but without like the egg and the biscuits so and then also without silverware so we were outside too so they just like bring us these waffles but we can't eat them and then they forgot about us for like 20 minutes so we were just like shivering like looking at this waffle get colder and colder oh no and it was like it was just classic like over or understaffed yeah. like poor service and i was like this is why and it was 60 dollars too for the both of us which is way what more expensive than CJ's. I would have like said, no, you forgot about me. We're yeah. taking money I was off trying that to bill. be polite because they were clearly, you know, overworked. But no, I was a, I was a wee that's, disappointed. That's like not even. Yeah. 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 With tip as well. Shit. Yeah. But had to. Hmm. I'm not going to do a nasty Google review. So had to mention <laughs> it here. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. That's why I don't branch out, though. Like, I, you get burned. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah. That's the only thing that happened. Um, 
well, this week. Yeah, there we go. That we need to talk about. Oh, I went to a fancy bar. Oh. It's called Bar Lease. Oh, yes. This, I went out. It was so late, but I went. It. I stood <laughs> in line. Granny stepped out. Yeah, Granny stepped out. And I was in line for like fucking 40 minutes or something it was one of those situations where everyone is trying to like talk to the bouncer because like they want to get in and like bend the rules and i just felt like grandma like literally i didn't feel like every everyone was just so chic and like in lingerie like it just oh god and I was just like the in lingerie clubs in, in LA really. Ooh, they get me. I'm I felt like, like I, I was so just insecure. like Abby yeah. from Broad City if she went out. And I was surrounded by like these 19 year olds who were just like in their cowboy boots and like their oh. slip dresses. And I was like, mm. I felt like I was in an episode of Gossip Girl, really. <laughs> it was it was like fun because our friends had a table. So I was just like, you know, once I finally got in, mm. I guess I had fun. But. Yeah. I, I was almost like I was pulling up the Uber to go home in line. Really? I was like, this, this is why I don't yeah, go out. Yeah, yeah. I hate this. And then, of course, my friend like got us in somehow. Great. Yeah. She always gets us in. The bouncer at that place. I have been there once or twice for a like there's a jazz jam on Tuesday mm-hmm. nights. And it's like kind of iconic in the industry, I guess. Cool. And like I, I like pulled up one time and he was like, you look cool go in and i was like <gasps> damn like, oh my god yeah i most I'm, certainly did not look cool as well well to him you did i guess i was like wearing like a t-shirt and i bet you did you always look cool it's true but i definitely wasn't like i remember distinctly coming home after that event and being like shit out that wasn't even Everyone my coolest was cool. yeah whatever. yeah yeah i hate being underdressed or just like feeling like oh i've just been feeling frumpy lately like i'm no i don't have clothes that fit me i i just feel like all of our clothes are like cheap and like not well fitting and maybe that's a me problem oh just like as a society Uh (laughs) i'll talk about this more when we get into preppy clothing (laughs) uh right let's reveal our topic for the day then yeah well how do we even what is our topic it's clothing the clothing and shoes that shaped the zeitgeist of the 2000s yeah I pretty think much that's a good way to sum it up i mean my research goes back to the 1800s but as does mine <laughs> good so it yeah we're gonna kind yeah. of cover rise and fall yeah. of hot brands of the 2000s and their history that kind of leads up to those and should we say what each person is do- presenting yeah i mean I think you should kick it off. Okay. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. Well, so today I decided to research preppiness as a whole. It all started because I was like, where, what happened to preppiness? Like, I feel like in my middle school experience, at least preppy was like a look. People talked about it. It was a term. And now I feel like that's kind of dissolved and become i don't know like obsolete so i researched a bit into like the world of preppy and the different brands that come along with that and then i'm gonna do move a bit into abercrombie and the kind of rise and fall of their whole brand which is a little bit similar to victoria's secret which we're gonna end with and the crimes of their founders and all of that 
Jazz. Let's get into it. I can't wait to hear what you've stumbled upon. Conjured. Researched. Okay, well, my title is Boots the Hot Down. Or Ot, when you say Ot Couture. Ot Couture. Yeah, so Boots the Ot Down. <laughs> the rise and fall of fashion brands then and now, from prep to Victoria's Secret. Slay. So I had my title ready. Um, okay, so first, I want you to tell me what you think of when I say preppy. I think of... The fashion on Gossip Girl. Ooh. I think of Vineyard Vines, which I only discovered when I started studying in Boston as a sort of... Really? I was like, why is this whale on everything? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I discovered it was a brand. And then I would say it does make me think of like Abercrombie and Hollister and kind of that sort of New England clean girl aesthetic... Mm. I don't know if those like tie in that well, but I think the preppiness kind of morphed into clean girl that is what is, I'm sensing. I I got to add that to my notes, clean girl, because I have a little bit of, I have a section where I'm going to talk about what's preppy now, like yeah. what are the aesthetics that are preppy or kind of borrow from aspects yeah. of like prep. And I did not put down clean girl, but that's definitely part of yeah. it, I think. I also think of Ivy League universities like Harvard, yes, yes. Yale, that kind of mm-hmm. East Coast, intellectual, old money mm-hmm. vibe. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, when I was younger, I thought prep began with like British people. Like I thought British people were like the fathers of like prep. But actually, when you look into the history of it, it was American mm. like schools, really, where preppy kind yeah. of took off and then went kind of became popular in England. When I think of preppy clothes, I'm thinking polos, yep. cable knit sweaters, yep. pearl earrings, mm. vests. Yeah, the new kind of the New England, like the specific brand of prep I grew up around was on the Dartmouth campus. So like, literally like LL Bean boots, Patagonia was super. It was like outdoorsy and prep combined. Was like, okay. That was the the brand. Definitely a lot of Vineyard Vines, Hunter boots. Oh, Hunter Wellies. You, yeah, yes, Hunter they were boots. that kind of feels synonymous with kind prep like, in the UK yeah, like the more high-end prep like the lacoste bag the lacoste of it all the fucking lacoste bags in middle school if you had a lacoste bag like in the hunter boots pearl <laughs> earrings and then like maybe a navy puffer vest oh my god and black <gasps> leggings i had a navy puffer vest yeah because we had jack wills did you ever have jack mm, wills yes i know that mm-hmm. was our like preppy store and that was really bu- built on like the university aesthetic oh my god Oxford, yes, Cambridge, yes, yes. Hunter Wellies, Countryside. That I think that's how it manifested and in the UK. Did you guys have like like where did the Royals play into like preppy stuff? I was I literally think of, like, about Kate to say Middleton. Kate Middleton and Prince William when they were studying at St Andrews. That feels like height of like preppy yes. culture. Like even now, I feel like St Andrews as a university is like really in Scotland. Yeah, um, that countryside tartan scottish mm-hmm. like cable knit that kind of all comes from that sort of scottish university yes aesthetic and i also think of like 
I ha- Princess Diana is huge in my mind. Mm. I'm thinking of like the the paparazzi photos of her with like the spandex like biker shorts yes. and like the the Harvard the hoodie. sweater yeah. yeah and like you know the joggers yeah. and whatever like that is yeah peak peak prep. yeah the royals do prep quite well and the people who were into prep in like my I know my like I had a certain friend who was like I think of when I think of like preppy middle school oh. style she I think she also had like a tumblr blog oh damn if I go into my pinterest right now like that's like a middle school time capsule yeah. I bet I will see like Ooh, all classic. preppy type of clothing yeah, yeah, yeah. but she was really into like the royals too I remember mm. like yeah, yeah that's what comes to mind oh Lily Pulitzer did you have a Lily we Pulitzer? didn't have that and I'm excited to yeah. learn about what that is please Lily Pulitzer is I'm it's pretty those, sure like garish print bags right it's like the the light like the pastel neon pastel oh, like yeah. flowers yeah 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 like very bama rush it's very like southern prep like it's like vineyard vines if but instead of boston it's, it's in like the south. southern states, yeah, yeah like that was florals big yeah that was big clashing blues pinks mm-hmm. greens yellows and in my i feel like in middle school like it was almost a crossover between athleisure and prep because we were athleisure was kind of becoming a thing on especially like on college campuses all you see now to signal status is like wearing your sports gear like on the Dartmouth campus it's all now like the basketball team or whatever like you wear your sports gear it was legging like lululemon paired with like bean boots like it was the weirdest blend of brands but it all somehow made sense at least where i grew up as like this like preppy wealthy style for the uk slags could you please describe a bean boot because they're something i only witnessed for the first time when i moved to boston and i was so jarred they look like if a mallard the dark yes was, was a, shoe. a shoe bean boots are a type of like outdoorsman boot that is rubber on the bottom has a little heel has a little heel and kind of like a grippy bottom you can wear them in the rain and then people from, wear them in the snow a lot yeah and from the base of the foot up it's it's leather so it's like this black like shoe this rubber shoe and then leather lace up yeah and it's it's hardy it's like it's like both you're going hiking but also like you're walking around town it's it's obviously popular in new england because like the insulated boon boots were actually like yeah. you can wear them in the snow yeah the they mud. seem practical but they, they were practical. are Oogly. They and you know it's hard for me to hear that because i'm so bean sorry boots are so <laughs> like i was obsessed with the bean boot like everybody was like i i mean they're fucking ugly now that if you were to like you know put an alien alien on this planet and like look at these oh you know what also makes me think of prep boat shoes aka sperry's i was gonna say bean boots are basically if you made boat shoes into a boot or like more outdoorsy like yeah 
I oh my god the the chokehold that boat shoes had on me in middle school I remember my mom she bought me LL Bean boat shoes oh wow which were not surprised they were like they weren't the, the ones you brand. wanted they were they weren't oh, so you were top siders you were, they were like, the fuck you mom for I was spending like, your hard-earned money on and I I can still these- picture them they're still in my closet <laughs> like they're still in my closet I actually wore them last year when my family went on a boat trip I was oh. like oh actually like she's like you know, literally the they boat. don't mark the boat like that's why you wear them <laughs> um but yeah pretty fucking ugly the it's weird for me because preppy they're like loafers seemed, aren't they yeah, yeah. they are they are yeah. for me in middle school preppy was like it almost didn't feel like a fashion trend it felt like this is like the ultimate expression of like wealth and class and status yeah like it it didn't feel like now where you have like fairy goth core and what what the fuck ever aesthetics you have like there's always a trend but it maybe that's just because it was where I was in my formative year so it felt like this is just like how it is yeah but it didn't feel like a trend it felt like all-consuming like everybody way we dress yeah. yeah so i don't know that was mm. that's that's my history that's that's our prep. personal history um, with the prep. but so this got me thinking about like how did preppy begin so it all starts with the birth of brooks brothers in 1818 in new york so brooks brothers is obviously like do you know what brooks brothers is do they make suits brooks brothers does every brooks brothers is has outfitted every american president except for two whoa in their i think in their inauguration or whatever every single american so they do make suits yeah yeah can you guess the two that haven't worn brooks brothers trumpy close but no actually he might have not but i don't think so uh maybe obama think trump but Mm, reagan Nixon and, and before Reagan it was Jimmy Carter oh for the opposite reason because he's like a people's man yeah. so he wasn't gonna wear the Brooks Brothers no, and then no. Reagan was like you know I'm a movie star I don't, <laughs> I don't need that um okay so in 1812 the U.S. was at war with England and they weren't buying fabrics from England typically this is how you buy clothes if you are a slag in 1812 you're not buying it off the rack there is no rack you're not you're not <laughs> buying pre you're not buying pre-made clothes that's what poor people do you, only poor people have clothes that are already made because oh. you get yourself measured Tailored. you feel the fabric you go you pick it out mm. and then you go and you you pick up your clothes a couple days later kind of a dream to be honest i'm like why are we in all of our wealth now like i'm just thinking of sheen like it's like people back in the day would look at sheen and be like what are you doing like tailor your shit you know (laughs) anyway so that's kind of the landscape okay england as a fuck you to the u.s um because the u.s isn't buying their fabrics i guess england dumps all of their unused fabrics in a u.s port kind of a sort of antithesis like, to the boston tea party yeah a little bit yeah wait sorry that was before did the americans dump the tea no or did the brits the dump americans the tea? dump the tea they said fuck you okay so That's the tea party yeah. that, so we're 
and when what came first the tea party was before 1800s okay brilliant. <laughs> fact check yeah 1773 okay fantastic um okay so this ends up backfiring because the u.s merchants simply look and say wow so much free fabric let's take it so they do and oh, henry brooks yeah suck yeah it they out just the water and dry it out it oh, dries great. um so <laughs> dries. one of those merchants was henry brooks okay. the founder of brooks brothers and he basically gets a bunch of people to draw up like ready-made patterns mm-hmm. take it home and sew it and like mass produce it so this is kind of one of the first like mass produced clothes this is what poor people would be buying but eventually they start making suits for the working man right. so now it's kind of everyone's in this like uniform got you um back then this is so this kind of like it it proliferates on princeton specifically the princeton campus they're oh. known for wearing these like brooks brothers suits um, and they have like this style developing that's like what we now know as preppy and they call it the ivy style um huh. and in so in 19 in the 1930s brooks brothers adapted the oxford button-down shirt you right. know that the classic yeah. yeah classic shirt um they adapted that from polo players in england because they they didn't want the collars flapping up so they like had their own shirt so they, yeah the brooks brothers adapt that into like this ready-made clothing now students in princeton are wearing it like mm-hmm. it's like this new sporty look um and so as we move forward now each group kind in america kind of like takes like puts their own spin or like adds a different style to preppy so in um, once these middle class veterans from the war come back after the 1930s, they're, they bring in like khakis oh, to the preppy okay. style. That's how like khakis become. Right. Women start wearing preppy. They add in this element of like androgyny. Um, so the look is expanding now. It's kind of people are coming to America and saying like, wow, these people are actually like pretty well dressed. Right. And it's proliferating. Um blah 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 people are happy the <laughs> 1960s come around <laughs> everyone's thriving are across they? the globe classically <laughs> um, famously everyone's thriving in the 1960s there is a kind of pull away from prep style mm-hmm. for the first time they call it the peacock re- uh, revolution Ooh, and sounds you know the 60s amazing. it's like personal flair people are wearing these outlandish yeah. colorful outlets or outfits it's kind of like this counterculture flower movement. power flower power cetera. um but in the 70s there's this resurgence now more of the classic preppy oh, look. the prep returns in the mm-hmm. 70s the the term preppy becomes a term in the 70s after this movie love story um some girl insults him by saying like don't you have your own library preppy so people start using preppy as like almost like hipster now okay it's like a term like yeah you know does it derive from like prep school yeah okay yeah um so yeah preppy gets catapulted as a term ralph Lauren debuts the polo shirt in 1972 oh damn um which is ironic because <laughs> chads <it's>, everywhere <laughs> are yeah, clicking <laughs> um it's ironic though because the polo shirt is actually based off of this tennis shirt 
worn by the player Rene Lacoste, uh, the French tennis player. Because yeah, I was going to say Lacoste did polo shirts yeah, as well. Yeah, they right? did. But Ra- so Ralph Lauren debuts their oh, their version polo shirt, the which kind of horse. becomes the iconic, you know, polo yeah. player. Um, so preppy is now thriving in this resurgence. The eighties come along. Have yeah. you heard of the preppy handbook? No, it's not really like popular in our generation, but at the time it sold 2.3 million copies. It's by an author. Her name is Lisa Birnbach and it was just this assignment she got and they weren't really expecting it. It was supposed to be like whatever, like a toilet book where you just like a fun little book. And she was a writer for the Village Voice. She went to NYC prep school and Uh she had 12 weeks to make this book the preppy handbook and she went and she went to all of her friends prep schools and like did this research and basically came back and made this book with like visuals it was like this kind of funny tongue-in-cheek like how to be preppy right and it was a phenomenon it sold 2.3 million copies everyone was reading it and then it kind of had a bunch of spin-offs like people would make their own like whatever style handbooks um so 80s is coming along Things are thriving. Um, popular Merchandise Inc. rebrands and becomes J. Crew. Oh, so that J. Crew kind of spawns in the 1980s. I have always walked past J. Crew and been like, that seems like an average sort of H, like slightly more high-end H&M. Alas, I was wrong. For the prices are eye-watering. It is so fucking expensive. There's a J. Crew right in one of on main street in dartmouth where you walk you go get your breakfast whatever yeah there's the huge j crew so i guess that's why i like j crew was like in the forefront of it my was mind in, mind in the middle school days but yeah it's kind of like vineyard vines classic yeah. j way too expensive yeah oh my god yeah i tried to take johnny shopping there one time and we were like no it's so expensive um so now multiple trends are happening in the 80s like multiple different styles not just prep obviously but preppy is kind of becoming a standard because there are so many different styles preppy is now seen as like the classic basic look almost right in the 1990s preppy forks off into like now we just have business casual like Basically, yeah. I think Bill Gates walking around in his khakis and button-up shirt. Yeah. Um. So we've got business casual, and then Ralph Lauren. Ralph Lauren did something interesting with like with preppy clothes in that he was the fir- one of the first designers to request that his collection at a store like at Macy's be displayed all together in one section oh. of the store. And in doing that, he's able to kind of create this world. Like, yeah. When you think Ralph Lauren, you think of like, it's, it seems like normal now that brands would have a world that they associate with and they want to sell you this image and a lifestyle. But at that time, that was like pretty genius of him to kind of request, like, I want everyone to see this world I'm creating. And he's always stuck to that and kind of, you know, He's a fashion designer. Pop he, off, King. In new styles. But, yeah. like, that's why I think Ralph Lauren is so, like, cemented. influential and cemented yeah. as, like, preppy, classic Americana, like, yeah, Ivy yeah. style. 
um that's so funny i always say that about um urban outfitters mm, the world they create is yes. such a vortex you think you want everything in there false the outfits just look coherent if you're buying one of the pieces from an outfit it's not gonna it just doesn't hit the same i also think with the urban outfitters they do a really good thing with like their they also sell like fucking typewriters and like random it's like a newbury comics like yeah their gifts like that's what i think when i'm in there too it's like a whole like it's a whole sell it with the accessories yes. it's like the aesthetic y- it's you're the buying thing. like a lifestyle not just mm-hmm. a piece of clothing you're buying all the knickknacks that go yes. with it the yes. home goods like of course you have a bright pink typewriter like you're just that girl just you know urban urban outfitters the the look for prep like a preppy look at that time was kind of like you're wearing the clothes you're wearing the polo but they're almost like tattered they're kind of like they're used it was it was part of the prep style at Mm. the time like if you go on the college campuses people almost like are proud of like when their clothes have like holes in them or like they're lived yeah. in. Like that was kind of the style at the time and that in reminds the ni- me yeah. sorry that reminds me of the golden goose sneakers mm, do you remember yes. when that was like they were at the i mean they're still really popular but their height they released this shoe that was like had like dirty duct tape on it it was dirty and like a lot of their shoes come like worn looking yeah but i think it's kind of grim the fact that these like super rich white people will buy these shoes Mm -hmm. for like i don't know fucking 900 dollars or some shit like some crazy price to have these shoes that look like just shit literally look like they're owned by like a homeless person that's so that's like capitalism gone so backward it's really interesting because it kind of reminds me like because it's a brand selling this as a look it's like packaging this like pre-worn look yeah but in this podcast i was listening to called articles of interest she does a seven-part series on prep i'm gonna link everything in the show notes it's she's like hugely influential in my research (laughs) but in it she tells me a she 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 tells me <laughs> she tells me she spoke to me in the podcast she describes how in japan in the early 1900s it was a similar thing like everyone had to wear the same uniform in the japanese like prep schools but it was like the coolest fucking thing to have your uniform be like tattered as much as it possibly could be like that was like their only way of creating a style and expressing they were like if you're not gonna give me anything i'm just gonna like wear it out you know like yeah so that kind of reminds me a bit of like yeah yeah they're almost like trying to manufacture that look um but anyway in the 90s instead of kind of the worn look people like in the hip-hop community especially it's a like having your clothes be like clean as fuck like no like sneaker culture too like not a mark that kind of became a thing no creases no creases (laughs) snoop dogg wears a tommy hilfiger shirt at a 2004 snl appearance which like blows the door wide open for tommy hilfiger is now like uh, kind of a hip-hop brand almost yeah like Aaliyah. i'm thinking of Aaliyah. she has this great tommy hilfiger look um so yeah like the tommy hilfiger kind of embraced the hip-hop and like working with black artists um 
in a way that Ralph Lauren kind of like people would wear Ralph Lauren anyone could but he kind of stuck to his like yeah you know vision yeah it's really interesting um a lot more to be said on that but we do not have the time (laughs) so in the 1990s is kind of like where now like the modern prep story begins sure um 1998 is when Vineyard Vines uh, is created yeah it was created by two brothers who actually went to Skidmore. Whenever I would visit Johnny, in the they would have in the dining hall this like huge picture of, of like, them. Yeah, because they're oh so God. proud. That's so funny. Was it started on Martha's Vineyard? Is that like that's I, how I have perceived it? So I remember reading that in yeah, it was founded in Martha's Vineyard by brothers. Fun story. Here's a little fun little yes. story for you. Just. Sorry to distract please, from your please. research. But my dad came to visit me in my first year of college in Boston. And everyone kept being like, Martha's Vineyard is so fit. He came in spring break. So I was like, perfect spring, good times, good vibes. Mm-hmm. And we go to Martha's Vineyard and it's all like, weirdly cheap for how expensive I've heard it is and there's no one there and it's really fucking cold it's like minus 10 celsius I don't know what that is in when when were you there spring break oh yeah yeah mistakes were made yeah it's not South Carolina because everyone (laughs) kept being like it's amazing it's so beautiful it's like so much fun Obama goes there for the summer I'm like yes we're going there for the summer yes so (laughs) yeah basically every single local kept being like why are you here in the off season everything was boarded up it was just jarring but there was a giant vineyard vine store really yeah, yeah. i mean mother and it was closed place. of course <laughs> there's i think of the vineyard i always see the vineyard vines next to the legal seafoods in the boston that's so uh, such a airport. combo yeah, yeah literally sorry you um go yeah, no, anyway, Vineyard Vines, the pink whale dooms us all. Yeah. Anyway. True. Um, 1992, Abercrombie gets its rebrand um, into a sexy college prep, like, frat spinoff. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk a lot more about that later. Um, but yeah, prep is kind of now, like, almost split off into a couple different factions like we have normcore do you know normcore what is normcore normcore i've definitely seen jerry seinfeld Um, it's like people who just wear it's all about like looking as normal and basic as you can like a 90s textbook like in spanish class like the kids (laughs) yeah well i remember I first heard Normcore in 2015. Wow. From like a kid from New York City who I had met. And I was Did, like, what is, is Normcore? Is Steve Jobs Normcore? Totally. Okay. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's like Normcore. There's like Does, dark academia. Oh. That's kind of, have you, do you know that? No, I don't aesthetic. know. Aesthetic. Dark academia. It's like all these TikTok aesthetics. Clean girl is like probably more of like the pearl earrings princess diana like i feel like i'm dressed clean girl today yeah a little bit very rich put your hair back in that bun maybe dark sorry yeah look up dark dark. it's like harry potter vibes like it's just what it sounds like almost like like literature quills 
like library yeah 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 kind of like borderline before it turns into steampunk yeah almost maybe almost. that's false yeah yeah this all these outfits just look like they would be worn by someone on riverdale it's it's like the people who had a harry potter obsession but now they're like older and they watch riverdale yeah yeah, 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 yeah. but i wanted to go in more on abercrombie because okay. abercrombie really shaped my youth i feel like Same. elementary and middle school i would my neighbor who was like had got a lot of like nice new clothes she would every like year or so she would give me this huge trash bag full of her old clothes and i was foaming at the mouth for it like <laughs> could not wait to get like you know last season's yeah. abercrombie yeah. <laughs> yeah um what do you think of when i say abercrombie i still distinctly remember the first time i went into an abercrombie store it was the big one but just off regent street so like the main shopping area of london and it was like a club like we had to queue to get in there were these topless models outside mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. obviously like 11 or 12 year old me is like ah, yes, yes yes i think i was with my mum, a friend and her mom mm -hmm. we went oh in. my god the moms yeah first it's fucking dark in there like Cannot literally see shit. it's, it's like almost like going into the steam room literally you're like where am i then but not just the darkness that hits you what assaults you is the smell oh. that smell of the abercrombie I and fitch perfume is so distinctive and i remember i was like buying a bottle yeah. <laughs> of this right now fierce yep it was fierce. <laughs> that was what it was called? Yeah. And it had a photo of like a topless man. Oh my God. Like yes. in the back of the... It was just basically like they were like selling sexy... The whole thing was like sex. It it was so porny. It, it was, was like... So soft porn. So sexed up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I remember. And then I remember just being like, need all these clothes. Like so chic. Yeah, so chic. It was very, I don't think I ever like really fit the clothes very well. Yeah. They were kind of designed for like smaller people. Well, that was intentional. And for my little, you know, uh, pudgy 12 year old self, I didn't really fit in. Although like, I definitely like made myself fit yeah <laughs> and You're yeah like, i'd like beg my work. parents for clothes whatever like 70 dollar fucking jumpers I, and they would just like roast me i just remember my parents fucking really roasting oh, me child vibes, like for they, wanting yeah. these like stupid expensive like mm -hmm. really basic clothes but yeah. it was the thing it was the thing hollister was also the thing you would go to westfield which is like this big mall they had an abercrombie they had a hollister yes you'd yes. queue with your parents to go in to the dark environment with all the perfume it's so awkward with all the hot people too. they're all like i don't know maybe 18 you know young people just working there and you're just like oh my god i wish i was them i remember like <sighs> the dresses were a big thing and Ooh. people would wear them to bar mitzvahs oh, a lot. Oh, let me get a visual. Like not as like their, oh, sorry, bat mitzvahs mm -hmm. and bar mitzvahs. It was a hot thing. Like as a guest, you would wear a Hollister dress. Really? Yeah, that was the thing. What kind of dress? Was it like a bodycon dress? It was like the dress? top, the 
What like do a, I mean? Flare? Strapless. It was always like a strapless, strapless number. Yes. With like a sort of plumy skirt, mm-hmm. but a tight uh, yeah. bodice. Oh, I remember, I remember, yeah. I remember. Yeah, those yes. were, that was yes. the thing. Yes. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. yeah. The one thing I still, still has a chokehold for me is the long sleeves, like the waffle cut, like these these button down like half button down i'll wear that all day long i love it's like a sleepwear almost Mm. but it's yeah obsessed wait sorry i'm just like remember this image the hot thing to do with abercrombie or hollister clothes was a vest a tank top and then on top of it checkered shirt like open that was a thing and then jeans that was the look you say a vest or a tank top like uh, a tank top this to me is a vest but you would call it a tank top okay yeah tank top and then just open a checkered shirt over it like a flannel no like a plaid oh my god do you call it plaid oh yeah that was the look fuck I need a I'm gonna need some visuals later or maybe it was just me and the look and they had these like little (laughs) skirts that I just like never fit into and I felt so grim well yeah we're gonna talk a bit about how that was intentional um so yeah Abercrombie once known for its ad campaigns mostly featuring just naked (laughs) teens in sexually suggestive positions um the company has since toned down the sexually charged imagery. Nice. Um, but yeah, Abercrombie is, it's founded in 1892 in Woo. New York City um, by David Abercrombie. And it was as an, it was an outfitter for elite outdoorsmen, which oh. totally makes sense. Yeah. Like from day one, it was kind of prep. Um, uh, Ezra Fitch, a wealthy lawyer, real estate developer, and devoted Abercrombie customer, bought a, sing- a significant stake in the business in 1900. So, hence Abercrombie and Fitch. And Fitch. By the 1970s, Abercrombie and Fitch was struggling with lower to or struggling to compete with lower price competitors. Right. So, trying to it was it's trying to like hold on to its high end image. It was this is a quote from a Wikipedia article. It was known for holding an extensive inventory of lavish items, but high operating expenses forced A&F to shed its highest price items, such as an $18,000 gold and onyx chess set, equivalent to $125,000 in 2021. So selling highly priced chess sets was not really working for them anymore. They had some cash flow problems, so they filed for bankruptcy in 1976. They closed their flagship store in New York. We're done for. In 1988, um, the brand is sold to The Limited, which is the parent company of several retail clothing places, including Victoria's Secret. Mm. And under The Limited, Abercrombie and Fitch gets a rebrand, and they're now focused on young adults. In the 90s, Mike Jeffries becomes the CEO. He buys it. And this is the rebrand. He looks like an orc. Yes. Okay, sorry. This <laughs> is the rebrand of Abercrombie and Fitch that we all know. Sure. So they all go in more to kind of Mike Jeff or yeah, Mike Jeffries, which is the guy who bought it. Um, but yeah, they get their rebrand 
they're all sexed up in 2000 they launch hollister i didn't know this hollister is owned by abercrombie yeah had no i thought they were competitors this yeah whole time. they had three there was like abercrombie hollister and gilly hicks yeah. gilly hicks was the underwear it was supposedly from oh. like bondi beach or whatever it was like australian browning hollister felt like california yes very so and it was vibe. very i felt like hollister to me felt like where the girlies would go a lot more and abercrombie was like where you wanted to go if you wanted to go see the shirtless guys and it was mm-hmm. very like male vibes yes yes yeah. In 2006, Mike Jeffries had a interview with the salon and he says, sex sells, skinny people are sexy. That's why we hire good looking people in our stores, he says, because good looking people attract other good looking people and we want to market to cool, good looking people. We don't market to anyone other than that. In every school, there are the cool and the popular kids and then there are the not so cool kids. Candidly, we go after the cool kids. We go after the attractive all-American kid with a great attitude and a lot of friends. A lot of people don't belong in our clothes and they can't belong. Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. Oh my God. He said, no fatties, no uggles, no losers. Do not come in our store. You will be shunned. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, that's kind of... 11 year old me did not hear that (laughs) clearly because she was like shopping now (laughs) Uh, Um, that That is so (laughs) jarring you would like imagine if he said that today the whole fucking brand would go down i mean not only were they like no fatties no uggos they all like their corporate practices were so bad that they had a class action suit filed against them so in in the recent documentary white hot it's on netflix i believe it's uh it details the store's success the controversies controversies (laughs) (laughs) including the racist exclusionary practices right and in yeah so in 1992 Mike Jeffries, his practices led to a 2003 class action suit which alleged racial discrimination in the store's hiring processes. So they basically, this documentary kind of gets a bunch of former employees to detail their experiences, which were pretty shitty. Mainly, they were just like, if you were at if you were non-white, if you were fat, if you were ugly, you're working in the back, they're cutting your hours they're slowly firing you basically the documentary also features samantha eloff who was rejected by abercrombie for employment because she was wearing a headscarf and abercrombie fought back against the case took it to the supreme court in 2015 and the supreme court ruled in samantha's favor oh fantastic! so abercrombie lost yeah um as as she should have done (laughs) fucking hell yeah abercrombie the models for me i mean like just having a bunch of like 16 year old shirtless guys just lined up parading you in wow they were really preying on the hormones of these like young girls but I mean, yeah, it worked. I was there. It fucking worked. We were all there for oh it. Oh my I god! Believe. And the smell that would emanate from the store—it was like pure sex. Yeah, they're li- just standing there in jeans and flip flops, and you're like, ah! 
need hey, to go inside. Need. <laughs> kind of reminds me of um that the final scene in Neighbors when Zac Efron becomes yeah. the Abercrombie <laughs> greeter. <laughs> so funny. Seth Rogen takes his shirt off. Yeah. Um, okay. Transitioning into my last piece. Love. Victoria's Secret kind of a story that parallels abercrombie in my opinion sure um what how did you, what was your relationship with victoria secret growing up like uh, was it prominent at the forefront of your mind it was it huge shape? it was huge i think age 11 no age like 12 and 13 it was huge in high school i remember the first year of high school our year got put in uniforms because before that it was a non-uniform mm-hmm. school all the older years got to keep wearing their oh yeah clothes. and the big thing was these victoria's secret pink uh sweatpants that kind of they were so baggy that they looked like you had like a nappy on almost they were these huge sweatpants they would wear those tank top and then uggs Oh, and I was like the height of fashion, the height of fashion, and it was, and it was, was. yeah. So that was that, and then of course the bombshell bras, Mm -hmm. which had so much fucking padding in them. Yeah, that was crazy. I remember the Victoria's Secret fashion show was a thing every year. All the girls would watch that. Obviously, then I'm like feeling so insecure because I so don't look like that, (laughs) and the yeah it just like took over victoria's secret pink was huge yeah it was the only place to buy underwear and like any i guess like sports and bras and I stuff i remember getting like my friends would go get like measured there i remember hearing that like oh, they yeah. would tell you that you had like triple d's <laughs> when you had like b's like as a strategy yeah kind of, like, yeah you know i think i got fitted there one time and i have tig biddies so mm-hmm. none of their bras really like fit oh me that God, well yeah. ever but some of them were really comfortable and cute i remember the perfumes too were such a big thing totally totally like bombshell and other ones that those are like burned into my brain because all the classrooms would mm-hmm. smell like those oh my god yeah yeah <laughs> all girls school was like rife pickings for victoria's secret mm-hmm. i felt like they had a monopoly on us so, yeah, yeah, I remember walking by Victoria's Secret in the mall and just like, I mean, it would just be like tits on the wall. And I'm like walking with my parents and I'm yeah. like, it's just like, it was so awkward yeah. for me because I, I mean, just tits. I remember I wall. like forced my dad to bring me there a couple of times <sighs> and like when they were with my mom loads, it just was like, oh my God, need to go. Yeah. Need mm-hmm. to go. It was the hot spot. Yeah, Victoria's Secret is known largely for their the bombshell bra, um, the angels. I mean, becoming an angel was basically guaranteed fame. Yeah, so Cara many different. Mo- yeah, that's who I think of. Giselle was an angel. Yeah, Adriana Lima. She's Some like Candace the- yes, girl. Candace. Like I don't, I don't like, even follow do models, but I know all of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that Bella Hadid with the weekend. With the Do you weekend? remember that? That was oh, a recent. Yes, of course. I mean, the fashion shows were quite the crazy. Oh, Econ- and then freaking our favorite Adam Levine. Oh my fuck! And yes. his wife. There was that picture of him mm-hmm. in the crowd, like watching yes. her being proud. Yes. 
um yeah so they're known for their angel shows they're also known for their pretty um just shameless stance on bodies like i mean i'm gonna show you that do you remember this ad i recall the perfect body ad and it's just like a bunch of skinny people lined up a couple different shades so but jarring. no actually i think they're all white wow maybe. we were just like lapping up this content we were as i youths. mean yeah it is seriously fucked my brain up yeah in in like irreparable ways i think absolutely because those are on th- these are highly unrealistic body types mm. that are genetic like these women even are genetically these women. yeah even for these women they're even like if sick you're- because they're trying to be so genetically skinny. predisposed to have a body that looks like that which i know girls who do like have mm-hmm. bodies that look like that naturally but then to like watch all the footage of the models like starving themselves before the shows and then i remember there was like a big thing about the vlogs like the bts vlogs mm-hmm, where they totally. would be eating pizza afterwards and they yeah. would like interview them and be like what are you gonna eat after this like burger whatever it totally normalizes it's this, so like, normalized called, like the the starve then the binge yeah. then the and i just i'm like how did this like become so all-consuming we're gonna go into the history of Victoria's Secret. So it it began in 1977 by Roy Raymond. Mm-hmm. He said he opened it up because he, he he felt inspired after feeling embarrassed purchasing lingerie for his wife in oh. a department store. So he opens up this Victoria's Secret. Um, he he wanted to kind of he was inspired by Victorian England initially. Oh. So that's the the namesake it was a reference to queen victoria the name (laughs) victoria definitely (laughs) not have been wearing that the name victoria's secret was meant to evoke sophistication and propriety associated with the victorian era boudoirs so the company earned five hundred thousand dollars in its first year they had a mail order catalog they started in san francisco Mm. in the 80s leslie wexner now a billionaire he discovered the store and he he kind of made the decision that he wanted to buy it for himself he was interested but raymond was initially wary of wexner right later stating when i met him it was as if he met the devil oh so that's how i guess he feels about Les wexner six months later the business was headed towards bankruptcy though and Raymond contacted Wexner again to discuss a potential sale and Wexner bought it for one million dollars whoa only one million dollars so later if we go if we follow Roy Raymond a bit yeah kind of a sad tale about a year after he sold Victoria's Secret to Wexner he stayed on as president of Victoria's Secret okay kind of while working towards the start of his own new company called my child's destiny in upscale store for children uh. um he put a lot of money into it it catered to prof- apparently professional couples and sold computer games imported dolls and expensive toys sorry imported yeah dolls. it's it, i i guess it's like for for yuppies and then they're soon to be kids yeah um so the business suffered due to poor location i guess the storefront business and they got criticism kind of 
of being like too elite people right. thought they were too elite so ultimately the business kind of fails they he did get raymond got funding from one of walt disney's daughters um to start up a new company right a, a bookstore called quinby's okay but ultimately that fails and in 1993 raymond commits suicide by jumping off the golden gate bridge Whoa. so yeah kind of sad i mean he because by that time victoria's secret was a multi multi million dollar yeah. company i mean i think it's valued at almost a billion at some point yeah. um so kind of sad, sad moment but back to victoria's secret right uh in 1983 when wexner bought it he revamps victoria's secret he wants to focus more on the female customers sexy glamorous the snob appeal of european luxury he right. wants and then in the 1993 victoria's secret introduces the miracle bra probably a prelude to the bombshell bra they sold two million within the first year in 1994 wexner discusses the creation of a fashion event the first ever victoria's secret fashion show with ed razek edward razek ed razek where he's a he's a bastard of this story we're gonna okay. talk about him later um but yeah victoria's secret fashion show First one ever happens in 95 and it stays for the next 23 years. So that's like a huge part of the image that they were able to add on. Right. In 2016 or 2006, Victoria's Secret now has a thousand stores across the U.S. Now into the decline. In 2016, the market share begins to decline. They don't have, they're failing to embrace like more diverse sizes okay. and types of clothing people are moving more to athleisure and then the ties between lex wexner and epstein become public so this is oh. part of the huge downfall they also end their fashion show in 2018 um, amid declining ratings and also influences from the Me Too movement. Right. So there's a lot of pressure on that end to halt that. So they do. Wow. I wish they halted that before. <laughs> <laughs> Your brain developed. Before my brain developed. <laughs> After a meeting at the Victoria's Secret headquarters, this is from a New York Times article, mm -hmm. um, an employee asked Mr. Wexner what he thought about the retail industry's embrace of different body types. He was dismissive. Nobody goes to a plastic surgeon and says, make me fat, Mr. Wexner replied. <laughs> okay. Right. Another quote about Ed Razik after the 2018 Victoria's Secret fashion show. In an interview, he's asked to explain why the annual show does not include transgender or plus-size models, and he responds, shouldn't you have transsexuals in the show? No. No, I don't think we should. Well, why not? Because the show is a fantasy, he told the publication. It's a 42-minute entertainment special. That's what it is. So this horrific take obviously got him in some hot, hot water, water. <laughs> um, which leads, I think, to more public pressure. My final piece today will be about the relationship between Jeffrey Epstein and Victoria's Secret. So this is all from a New York Times article that came out 
In this article, they conducted interviews with more than 30 current uh, and former executives, employees, contractors, and models, and they also looked at different court filings. Um, and much of the article is surrounded by Ed Razik, who was for decades one of the top executives at L Brands, the parent company. Mm-hmm. So he like owned Abercrombie, all that stuff. Razik was the subject of repeated complaints about inappropriate conduct. He tried to kiss models. He asked them to sit on his lap. He touched another one's crotch ahead of the 2018 fashion show. Ed Razik was very instrumental in selecting the brand supermodels, mm-hmm. known as the Angels. So he, because of that, he just amassed an enormous amount of power and basically whatever he said went yeah last year the ties between epstein became a lot more public epstein managed mr wexner's multi-billion dollar fortune apparently he posed as a recruiter for victoria's secret epstein to in order to like lure some women into his little ring so yeah because wexner gave him so much freedom to manage all of his money Epstein was able to kind of afford this lifestyle that lured these women in. Um, On multiple occasions from 1995 through 2006, Jeffrey Epstein lied to aspiring models that he worked for Victoria's Secret and could help them land gigs. He invited them for auditions, which at least twice ended with Mr. Epstein assaulting them, according to the women in court filings. Yeah, so there's a lot in the article just about the really horrible shit that went on between wexner who's an ass who owns it and then razik who basically used his position to grope and kiss models throughout the process and then epstein who kind of saw all that happening and just figured he would get in on it himself it's all pretty nasty so victoria's secret kind of faced a crisis in since 2018 and 2019 they've been working on a rebrand which i'm really curious to see if it'll work they they have megan rapinoe she's a soccer player uh she's 35 yeah yeah, yeah. eileen gu a 17 year old chinese american freestyle skier a 29 year old biracial model and inclusivity advocate paloma ellis um and Priyanka Chopra, I guess, is also one of the what? like new women. So they have seven women they hired who they're calling the Victoria's Secret Collective. And they're going to advise the brand, appear in ads, and promote Victoria's Secret on Instagram. Right. Um, I feel like no one's going to forget the clusterfuck yeah. that was so even all though, of the shit that... Yeah. What? It's, it's interesting. I mean... Wexner and Razik, both both of them will not be a part of the new Victoria's Secret. Apparently, they have since split from L Brands, oh. and um, they're becoming their own public company this summer. Oh wow! And if you look at like their new, th- these are their new ads, and these are their advocates. I'm showing a new a picture. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely giving. It looks like, like a Dove ad. It just looks yeah. like you know all of the women in their underwear like holding each other. I'm obviously happy that... Yeah, I mean, it's good. There's a rebrand of the image. Yeah. I'm just really curious as to if some of the corporate practices are still going to be wonder. around. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's all of my research. Amazing. Yeah. Right. How, where are we? 
we're at uh 72 minutes oh my god i knew this would be a long one okay i can edit this one. yeah you are editing this yeah. one um right let me can we do a pee break before yeah go pee yeah. okay my research was all about shoes that shaped the zeitgeist of the 2000s the rise and fall the rise and fall um i'm titling this section if the clog fits <laughs> uh so i have like three kind of shoes i want to talk about there's so many shoes obviously that have yeah. shaped the good, like youth culture the culture the culture yeah um so some honorable mentions like converse mm. sneakers of course you spoke a little bit about sneaker head culture yeah. which i have been very deep in at some points of my life less so now um but those are kind of like vast topics that are kind of they're covered at length so i wanted to cover uggs crocs and platform shoes because i feel like those are like shoes in specific that have kind of like ebbed and flowed over Mm -hmm. the course of our lifetimes at least and kind of you know in history as well so when i say the word uggs what do you think of oh boy i mean if there was anything more powerful than the bean boot, it was the UGG. <laughs> I think of water damage, like what, because we, it was <laughs> when everyone would wear UGGs, you know, yeah. in my town, middle school, and there was snow on the grounds, of course, and mm. salt because of the snow. And so you would get all this salt and snow on your UGGs and you would get this like horrible water stain. And I also think of the knockoff UGGs. Like mm-hmm. I had a, like, what were they called? like bear paw or something yeah yeah, bear paws. Yeah, yeah i had those and they would always crease at the heel and just like look ugly <laughs> uggs were something that i've i like rejected a lot like i think late middle school high school i was like oh i'm not wearing uggs like, yeah they're so ugly i kind of joined in on the hate from uggs sure. but they're comfy as hell they're warm I wouldn't say they're the most practical winter boot because they're not waterproof, really. But mm. yeah, that's what I think. Okay. So, Uggs come from Australia. Um, and I found this essay by Rachel Matthews at the Australian College, Australian College of the Arts. She published this in 2020. And... The title is Understanding Ugg Boots Travels Through Place, Space, and Time. Mm. So this is a quote. Although the origins of Ugg boots are distinctly Australian, the Ugg story has evolved through a number of different threads that shape our perceptions of the humble sheepskin boot. Mm. There is an international media narrative of Ugg boots that although rooted in Australian surf culture, shifts its focus to the world of celebrity culture. Mm. In Australia, the media discourse on the Ugg boot follows a very different trajectory. This narrative is concerned with agricultural practices, sporting activities, and social etiquette that connect with the Australian landscape and a sense of national identity. Hmm. So her essay is really interesting. It's all about how in the international fashion sphere uggs have their own like identity and 
people see the UGG brand that's like trademarked mm-hmm. as the authentic UGG boot. Yeah. And like you said, like bare paws or any other yeah. thing as like fake or counterfeit mm-hmm. or knockoff or whatever. Dupe. A dupe, if you will. Um, but the actual origins of UGG boots come from the sheep farmers in Australia. Uh, here's a quote from Rachel's article that says, there are recorded fragments of UGG boot history dating from the early 20th century, including their invention as improvised footwear in remote shearing sheds in New South Wales mm. in the 1930s. And prior to that, their rumored connection to the First World War fighter pilots. Oh, shit. So in Australia, they are deeply connected with like sheep farming and surf Ooh. culture. So why surf culture? So they kind of became known as the shoe that you would wear like before and after surfing on the beach so in australia it's like common to see people wear ugg boots like before they go, like, go surfing uh, just putting your wet bare i know foot it kind of feels a bit counterintuitive boot. but i think oh. that's their original like intended use and i mean yeah they are not really meant to be a winter boot interesting because it's kind of hot and um so they became like synonymous with surf culture and that's kind of how they like bridge over to the u.s so interesting yeah okay um rachel's article continues a 1971 recording from australia's national film and sound archives represented ugg boots as accessories that surfers made during their winter months when it was too cold to surf Mm. There is no doubt that in 1971, Ugg boot history was Australian with intimate connections to competitive surfers and their lifestyle. At this time, Australian surfing magazines and other mainstream media featured and promoted the sheepskin boots as Ugg, Ugg, or Ugh boots, like U-G-H. Um, they were produced by off-duty surfers or as a byproduct of sheep farming alongside sheepskin rugs and car seat covers. So again, it's all just like farming and surfing. Pure and vibes. then in the 70s, Ugg boots get introduced to the Californian surfing community. There's mm. kind of some debate about which surfer from Australia brought it over to Cali, but um, there is info about this Australian surfer called Brian Smith, who imported loads of Ugg boots to California in 1978. Damn. The mainstream stores were like, nah, don't want. Not a vibe. Hmm. But Californian surfers and snowboarders really were into the Ugg boots and Hmm. they used them for apres surf and apres ski. He then trademarked Ugg, like capital U-G-G, and Ugg Holdings became the first company to successfully import this product to the United States. Were they wearing like the lot, the tall Ugg boot, the short booty? Like so what? I'm trying to imagine. Ugg encompasses like any, in Australia at least, like any sheepskin boot. It can be any height. Okay. Um, It's ugg the brand that markets itself like internationally that has come up with all the like different sizes okay i think oh but it's uggs is like a term it's just like a like like boots a boot yeah oh so interesting i didn't know that so um in australia in the 80s 
there were loads of Ugg boots flying around in Australia, loads of like sheep farmers. Mm-hmm. And then this is kind of when the cheap imported versions started to like okay. come up. They were sold literally in gas stations, farm shops, side of the road. They were perceived as an inexpensive and ubiquitous product integrated into everyday life as slippers. Um, Mm. And so in her article, Rachel goes on to talk about how, like, this is part of the image in Australia now that they are cheap and widely available footwear. And, sorry, hold on. Quote, this form of cheap and widely available footwear also developed subcultural significance in Australia during the 1980s when disaffected groups of youths began wearing Ugg boots in combination with ripped jeans as they gathered on street corners. Mm. So, like, it kind of... The image of the Ugg boot became synonymous with, like, antisocial behaviour and, like, <sighs> dropouts, you know, street corners. So <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. Um, and like after that, some like establishments in Australia banned people from wearing Uggs, um, like cinemas, like hotels, no shirts, no restaurants, shoes, no, no shoes, no shirt, type. no service. Oh my kind of God. Uggs, no Uggs. service. <laughs> <laughs> um, so only in the 1990s do the boots become like they start to pop off in the fashion world. Yeah. And there were like two super significant moments for this. They happened in 1994. Pamela Anderson was first photographed on the set of Baywatch in her signature red swimsuit wearing her Oh, Ugg that boots. tracks, that tracks. And then the other event in 1994 is the US Winter Olympics team mm. wore Uggs to Lillehammer in Norway as part of the official Olympic uniform. So now it's like it's in the culture yeah it's american pam's worn it it's there i think beyonce is soon after right well, okay yeah. we'll get into that okay. Okay. so in 1995 uh ugg australia holdings got sold to this company called decker's outdoors Co- corporation and i think okay. they still own it now oh. um they've tried to pursue many international legal cases for fighting for the term Ugg boot. Oh. um, And like intellectual property on that. Very interesting. Um, And kind of in Australia, they don't really care about the like design features. What they care about is like holding onto the term Ugg as like something distinctly Australian and like part of their culture. That makes sense, yeah. And um, Rachel goes on to say, While successful in the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, and parts of Europe, attempts by Deckers to trademark Ugg Australia were unsuccessful in Australia. Mm. Further efforts to restrict use of the term Ugg in Australia motivated many sheepskin boot producers to begin working together. They Mm. formed the Australian Sheepskin Association in the early 2000s and successfully challenged the trademarking of Ugg and variations like UG and UGH. Um, so the combined efforts of the ASA uncovered thousands of pieces of evidence that demonstrate the use of the term UG in Australia as far back as 1936. So Damn, basically it's all just like to the a fight for like the 
national identity yeah. in Australia. Yeah. And like, meanwhile, the rest of the world is like completely like, oblivious to that. We don't even know, <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Um, so in 2000, Oprah helped inject Ugg Boots into the mainstream internationally by endorsing Ugg Boots and featuring no them on her favorite things Classic. segment of her TV show. She bought pairs of Ugg boots for her entire team <laughs> and the studio audience. No way. You know what that Everybody means? Everybody gets an Ugg boot. You get Ugg boots. You get Ugg boots. That's, I wish Ugg I was boots. there during that I know, time. same. Cool. And then other celebrities around this time were seen sporting Uggs. It kind of became synonymous with the off-duty wardrobe, mm. um, which is where those iconic kind of paparazzi Ugg boot picks to- come into play. Totally. Paris Hilton famously promoted the pale pink and the pale blue oh, Ugg yeah. boots. Oh, yeah, the Which color. were specifically in conjunction with her Juicy Couture tracksuits. Uh, yes. And some important celebrities were kind of like seen wearing them around 2004 we have sarah jessica parker wearing them in sex in the city Ooh. sienna miller at glastonbury okay i know her uh kate moss of course paris Queen. kate hudson Queen. beyonce beyonce and in around 2009 the increase in popularity means that loads of like counterfeit Oh, of Uggs, course. Like yeah. counterfeit in relation to the trademarked mm-hmm. worldwide brand. Yes. And in 2010, like the overexposure and like how like adopted it is by the culture kind of makes it wane in popularity. That's, so I mean, that's exactly when we were. That's the lull. Like basically. It almost felt like as soon as I could create my own decision in what I wanted to to style myself is like right when they were popular and then not so and then popular. suddenly like they so become quick. really uncool yeah. again and they kind of like become quote unquote basic. Ex- yeah. Club. Right? Yeah, like seventh grade basic white girl. Was so thinking. Decca's Outdoor Corporation, the people mm-hmm. who own the UGG brand, they're like trying to revive the brand after 2010. They do a bunch of collaborations with Swarovski, Disney, Jimmy Choo, which they call Chugs, which is vile. Um, (laughs) They also created a wedding collection with sequin covered metallic boots, sheepskin flip flops. um, And it kind of all flopped, basically. None of it was. Desperate grabbing at straws for relevancy. Um, But then this like iconic moment happens in 2012. This fashion authority. Andre Leon Talley was seen wearing Ugg boots in the front row of New York Fashion Week. Oh. And this is when Ugg boots kind of like start to cement themselves in the culture, like in a permanent way worldwide. So he reportedly said, Ugg boots can be as cool as heels. They keep you anchored in reality. Oh. And then came an article in British Vogue where it's titled the return of the Ugg boot and they set out like five rules for wearing Ugg boots in 2012 uh yeah already the return of the Ugg boot is so soon it goes through so many waves so many waves so they they were like you can't wear it with a tracksuit anymore like you've got to like make it cool okay okay um oh shorts and uggs seems like it's very cool like because the leggings and uggs is that's too basic yeah who wears jeans and uggs well um, 
who perhaps, perhaps i don't know perhaps. i could see that interesting i don't know um so like this conversation around authenticity worldwide is about like the ug brand versus the fake ones whereas in australia again it's just like all about how an authentic ug boot is just like an australian boot um it's so funny that like americans are so unaware of yeah. this like yearning i know for, like and it's like deep there's yeah. so much yeah going on so there's a quote again from rachel's article that says it refuses to acknowledge that there is anything stylish or luxurious about ugg boots preferring to connect the protective features of the boot to a sense of place through a tacit alignment to strength and durability as personal qualities of australians hmm which I think was kind of a nice like take on it. Yeah. Um, Again, in the international fashion discourse, it's all about like, it's comparable to like a real or a fake Chanel bag kind of thing. And they lose the sort of Australian geographical connection and become synonymous with like fashion brands as a whole. Yeah. They are kind of seen as fashion's guilty pleasure. I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, so the sensory thing of putting your feet into these like super comfy boots. It, yeah. yeah. Um, Pillow. It has this like connection with being pampered. They feel like a luxury, indulgent, me time, treat, mm-hmm. um, which is all like leaned into by the brand. And it kind of that sort of like goes in conjunction with all the paparazzi pics of like people yeah. wearing them in the airport and stuff totally and there's a new york times article in 2020 by max berlinger the highly unlikely yet totally predictable return of args mm. he says once the boot du jour for carefree socialites and off-duty starlets, it had become part of the uniform of a certain upwardly mobile consumer with bland bourgeoisie taste. Mm. The label was hardly the first to experience this tra- trajectory. It's a common one in fashion. Things that once had an air of exclusivity and mystique are then fully absorbed by the culture. Uggs were beloved, but mass market. While the collaborations have been able to whip up excitement in the fashion community, serendipitous outside forces have added to UGG's recent good fortune. It is one of few fashion brands poised to benefit from the novel coronavirus as stay-at-home orders and mandated quarantines created a surge in popularity for cozy apparel and accessories Mm -hmm. like sweats and house slippers. UGG's may be just the regression we all need in these times. Additionally, nostalgia for trends from the early aughts has experienced a renaissance in recent years, fueling a fervor for Puma sneakers, Prada nylon bags, and Mm. other brands of the era. And while Uggs have been derided by some as downright unattractive, ugly shoes are popular in certain cool kids' circles. Totally. Yeah. Uh, And then he kind of likens the... Uh, trajectory of Uggs to that of Crocs, which we'll be getting. I mean, to, I'm into. also thinking Moon Boots too, kind of a similar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they're huge. I mean, Moon Boots are more campy for sure, and a little bit more stylish. Yeah, but it there's definitely an air of like celebrity paparazzi mm. in how you feel when you put the Ugg on. Like it is indulgent in a way. Yeah, like, it's. It's it's like I know this is ugly and 
it's so comfortable i just can't stop myself um so after 2020 like leading into 2022 now we're having like this big resurgence models like kaya gerber the Hadid sisters. The, the pizza pictures. The Jenners. The paparazzi pictures. Those paparazzi pizza pictures. The uh, tidy whities That must have totally bumped sales. I need statistics on that. The classic ultra mini yes. has returned. The booty. So less of the like full mid-length boot. It's like we're just taking a percentage booty. of the trend. And we're like, yes. we just need the little bit of the yeah. hug. And they are kind of killing it now. It's, yeah they're making a killing I've, yeah. I've seen so many people with the booties on recently yeah so in a l article titled why is everyone obsessed with uggs all over again clementina jackson goes on to say it is the classic chestnut booty of yore that has come back with a vengeance albeit with a few 2022 worthy updates think mega platform soles mini below the ankle cuts the embroidered tasman slippers and a range of vibrant new colors mm. so it's kind of like thanks to TikTok and all the celebrities wearing them. The low profile ankle shoe Uggs are now like the hottest Making thing. Making a killing. Yeah. And because of COVID, they have basically kind of crushed the slipper game. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. On yeah. that front, like ultimate staying at home. Yeah. Footwear. Um, but I thought it was super interesting that like kind of how in australia it's like about national identity yeah and almost yeah are am i right in thinking they're like they they're just trying not to have the word ug be like this just because a brand can yeah yeah yeah. profit off it they're like we want to keep ug as like there's a culture attached to it and you should be able to say the word ug and not get sued by this company that's yeah. now popular yeah yeah okay um Very interesting. in new south wales there's like a giant i think there's two giant ug boot statues really yeah and apparently it's a really big thing in australia they have like statues of giant wow very australian things I'm so unaware of <laughs> of that um so yeah, I just thought that was a fun little fact for you. Next, we're gonna get into Crocs okay, because beautiful. Crocs are also like the ugly mm-hmm. comeback, guilty kid. pleasure comeback. Yeah. yeah, I found this article called "The Evolution of Crocs Incorporated: Will They Face Extinction?" So this is in two thousand nine. <laughs> Damn, and it's kind of like looking at the start of okay. how Crocs were started. So the birth of Crocs was in May of two thousand two. Three friends from Boulder, Colorado, went sailing in the Caribbean. One of the men on the trip had purchased a pair of foam clogs in Canada. And all the guys on the trip were like super impressed by the performance of them as boating mm-hmm. shoes. And they started to visualize like the perfect boating shoe, which ended up being crocs they are made from this like special proprietary material oh really closed cell resin material okay um they call it cross light as like the company calls it okay and it's basically weightless like if any if you've worn crocs as i'm sure you have you know that they are like fucking like walking on clouds basically and the largest size of crocs weighs less than six ounces so no way okay yeah and because the material is closed cell it's also antimicrobial so it like 
makes your feet not smell and like i mean i've never had a smelly croc there you go um so they started selling their shoes in november of 2002 at a boat show they were supposed to be boating shoes um but the market soon expanded to gardeners healthcare workers waiters and other professionals who had to be on their feet all the time and the crocs kind of just like blew the fuck up and it was kind of unprecedented so incoming the croc popularity yeah where were you when crocs hit the scene this is shocking to me that crocs only began in the early 2000s yeah because they caught on so quickly like at least for my like okay so i'm from a small community relatively crunchy yeah also adjacent to dartmouth so like preppy but there's a big crunch scene where i'm from yeah and (laughs) big granola vibes i remember i mean wearing crocs all the time in elementary school they were just like if you wanted to play in the river or like be outdoors they were just like a good water shoe playing in the summer and then i think like you would wear them like as just like a cute little like slipper shoe like i don't i may have worn crocs a couple times to school in high school just like in your leggings and socks yeah kind of just a little rubber slipper moment i feel like my use of crocs were semi-ironic from the get-go because they were kind of just so ugly and colorful but at the same time they were so popular in my community for whatever reason like from the get-go that i don't it i feel like they're they're popular now as kind of like this like almost inside joke like yeah like a you know like a resurgence or you know but i yeah i don't know i mean they were they've always been like a extremely practical fun shoe so i'm i'm a big fan of crocs We, we always have like seven different pairs in our mud room we're a big croc family (laughs) yeah yeah i think like what you're getting at the irony of it all and like the the funness of them Mm -hmm. and the sort of like all weather like ready to not all weather maybe not winter but like i mean i would force it any condition yeah you can you can i remember going to the hockey rink a lot with my crocs even though i'm like i could get wetness in these like i'm still gonna crock up Yeah. yeah um so they they kind of hit their popularity in the early 2000s and then it kind of slipped off again as Mm -hmm. people like branded them really ugly yeah but um the company recorded an all-time high revenue of 2.3 billion dollars in 2021 no way 67 percent increase from the previous year wow so again they are benefiting from the covid locked inside comfort yeah. is king vibe the mindset is like what shoes can i wear when working from home and mm-hmm. they took full advantage of that in this article called croc soaring success in the P- pandemic era and its marketing strategies <laughs> in the independent uh, <laughs> written by jayani sneha dosapati it kind of details how Crocs like takes advantage of social media, celebrity endorsements. To- I'm thinking SZA. And yeah, 
gibbets, which are the big ten little shoe charms that you can stick onto your Crocs. Always hated like, gibbets. You hate personally. Them. Oh my god. I okay. love. I I think they're cute now because like you can kind of express yourself. But my sister would always have the wildest gibbets and i'd be like girl you're making your crocs ugly like they look so ugly with <gasps> oh. all those gibbets but well i like your gibbets don't worry so they took advantage of all the polarization mm-hmm. and they started collaborating collaborating with well-known brands mm-hmm. balenciaga they saw oh those i remember that 850 dollar four-inch platform <sighs> crocs Insane, yeah. and again yeah like remy wolf post malone oh. scissor they, they know all who have to croc, get croc collabs and in 2020 crocs quadrupled in sales and was as popular as lysol during the pandemic no way i just realized have you ever had a front toenail catch on the top side of a croc while going barefoot you're stepping forward. Your toenail catches on the top of your croc. Oh, and it forces and, it. And it forces your nail back. Sorry, I just had an intrusive memory. You've never had that before? I'm like, as you're describing it, very able to feel what that would feel like, but can't distinctively I have far too many memories, that. baby. Okay. Maybe I need to trim my toenails. Um, anyway. Again, it's like this like anti-fashion. Totally. Like weirdness um there's this article on gq by cam wolf which i just want to read a quote from because it's so funny it says crocs is no longer the proud outcast it's more like the weird kid who everyone is happy to see at parties yes unquote so (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah they're like this perfect summation again yeah like those post malone crocs sell for like four hundred dollars on StockX, which is a shoe trading website um so like kind of the themes around Crocs and their like permanence in the culture now is the sort of self-aware, ironic, yeah, customizable like aspects to the shoes, which is why I think they like resonate so well mm-hmm. with Gen Z because you have the choice of maximalism. You have the choice of minimalism. Yeah. You can express yourself with the gibbets, which I fucking love. <laughs> and they're super practical and i was thinking about this was like why do we love this practicality so much like what the gorp core of it all and it feels like as we're on this death march towards the end of the world Mm -hmm. like the climate crisis we are upholding and like um what's the word glorifying Mm -hmm. practicality more because we are moving towards the apocalypse so it's like yeah. nice to have these like practical things reliable yes cheap, like yes waterproof it just feels like that's like the direction mm-hmm. um and again the nostalgia of childhood like gen z a lot of us had them when we were like seven or eight yeah and a lot of that stuff again in fashion and culture is resurgence. Totally. i mean it's almost like a guaranteed resurgence yeah like anything from that era yeah personally i fucking love crocs i have love a pair them. of platform crocs that i love your platform crocs. i love them the gibbets i have on them are like so they're tasteful they're tasteful, tasteful gibbets um yeah kind of just like the ultimate shoe i use them for crafting for just errands for 
life basically mm-hmm. great summer shoe great to go to the pool to the beach i definitely had a, a bout with fuzzy crocs at a certain Ooh, time as did i, I my sweaty the feet fuzz, sweat through those the fuzz though. did not hold up very well no. um, um yeah yeah <laughs> johnny has a i so i bought this these croc dupes for like eight bucks these fuzzy <laughs> pink ones and then i took out the fuzz because it like disintegrated oh yeah but then it turned out they were like a lot bigger than my shoe size oh. so now johnny has these cute little like baby pink crocs oh, that you can wear around Love yeah those. i remember airwalk too they do you remember airwalks Mm-mm. airwalks were like definitely a croc dupe that was popular we might have had a couple dupes in our family yeah. yeah the dupes are also like synonymous how how much are crocs little. now they last i They're checked like they were like 35 30 bucks, bucks. Okay. yeah and pretty then cheap the knockoff ones are like five bucks obsessed that's that's how they should be they should not be selling a rubber shoe for any anything more than 35 yeah it's like affordable they could definitely make them like 65 dollars oh yeah they yeah and they're and good sure for they like do for some great for kids yeah <laughs> great for the kids great i love for the, co- the colors too like what color crocs do i want yeah it's all about self-expression you can keep them playing you can you go. can do the white croc that's a classic so moment. classic yeah. yeah um and then i wanted to talk a little bit about platform shoes yes to like do. round it all out at the do. end um so i was on this article on fabulousplatformshoes.com. <laughs> i was talking about the history of platforms and Basically, we all think of the 70s, or at least I do, when I think about platform shoes, is like the origin, as it were. When we say platform shoe, is it like the sneaker that's just elevated six inches, or is it the heel that's like big and chunky? Anything that is like an elevated... Just a big chunk below the normal shoe. Below the shoe, yeah. Okay. Like anything like more than like an inch or two, I would say, that's where you're... I mean, two inches, that's probably a platform. Um, so long before the platform heel exploded into our lives in the 1970s, it had actually been around in many disguises centuries mm. before. The history of platform shoes includes the Okobo, the Cab Cab, the Paducah, and the Chopin? Chopin? Don't know how to say that. Anyway, um, there's a lot of evidence of them in ancient cultures. Egypt, Japan, really? Greece, India. Yes, they were both worn by men and women, usually like a higher class thing okay. for ceremonies, status. They would also like wear them to elevate themselves, like higher than the common person. I love a to platform be like godlike. Sorry, and then anything. also for practical reasons, because you know, like it was dirty in the olden oh, days. Oh yeah, like, the streets were covered in shit. Yeah, lit- raise that platform. Raise like those six platforms inches up. So it was all about like, keeping our clothes clean. Yeah. Etc. There's a part of this article that just reads, Ancient man loved the platform, <laughs> which I fucking love. So in um, ancient Greece and Rome, actors would wear them. Really? Um, these like buskins. You know those like Jesus sandals almost? Yes. That with yes. the crisscross around the calf. Totally. Um, they would wear them to like signify that they were higher status, prestigious yes. actors. Okay. Then you have the Okobo, um, which originated in 18th century Japan, mm-hmm. where you can see like how the flip-flop came from that. Um, they were worn by Maiko or the geishas during their apprenticeships. Damn, this goes back far. It's so deep. And there's so many other forms of like 
olden platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, the most famous predecessor is the Zoccoli in Venice of the 15th century. So they Good would God. wear those when the pavements would flood okay. in Venice. Jam. And then there's ones that were worn by like prostitutes in the 16th century in okay. the UK and England. They were called Slim. patterns. And they, those are the, I sent you a picture of those. They're like little circles under just regular like ballet flats. It's kind of <laughs> funny. Um, there's just basically so many like iterations of it. There's a Lebanese version. There's an Indian version called the Paduka. There's hella versions in Japan, ancient China, operas. Like it's basically just like, status elevation yeah yeah humans have been doing it for fucking elevating ourselves totally makes sense yeah um and of course in the 70s they like make a big resurgence david bowie ziggy stardust Ooh. elton john all that jazz disco etc mm-hmm. and then i wanted to like do a little bit about vivian westwood because r.i.p yes. she just Recently passed away passed. sadly she's a fucking icon she's such a legend godmother of punk Mm. has shaped fashion in so many different ways. But um, she reintroduced high-heeled platform shoes into high fashion in the early 90s. So there was this pair of shoes that she designed called the Super Elevated Gilly with five-inch platforms and nine-inch heels. Um, Famously, Naomi Campbell wore them on the... uh, runway and she fell over. So I'm going to just show you... She fell over? Those are the shoes... Well, those and are then I'm going to show you a clip of Naomi Campbell falling no over. No way. Yes, way. <laughs> uh, Mortifying. Here we go. When I fell down, you worried. Well, you were all right, Naomi. You were all right. And um, I know you're, you were kind of issuing bravado really i think you were annoyed and 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 a bit hurt and worried i was embarrassed yeah well it was that yeah. was it well, was i was your embarrassed, pride. I was it, embarrassed yeah. because yeah. and also it was like not the right time of the month for women to fall and i thought period um practice more and that comes from my training of dance that I should have no. practiced more. Because I, there's a, there's a, there, I know how to walk in your shoes now. There's a trick That's, to walking in your shoes. Let me tell you, stop. The reason you fell is because you had these rubber <gasps> ties. Yes! And your thighs caught together, oh. and so you wiggled on the shoe. And oh you only got to wiggle slightly, and you're over. I know, but when I tell yeah. people they have rubber tights, they're like, what? I said, I was wearing rubber tights. Yeah. But I also, I also feel, though, that I did put too much weight on the front. No, no on no. my heel. On the back, yeah. On the you heel. And I should have done, I should have walked more with the heel, the tip toe, on my tippy toe yeah. a bit more. Yeah. And I realised that after. Mm-hmm. But the so yeah wow that was really hard to watch i thought i was gonna watch like a a compound fracture or something yeah yeah she really like her ankles start to buckle anyway so it's kind of like a really iconic moment in fashion and then in the late 90s thanks to the spice girls oh um they were often seen in tall platforms Mm -hmm. and platform sneakers there's this brand called buffalo that made these platform sneakers that were like i know the that was the fucking hot ticket 
And then I just wanted to like honorably mention armadillo shoes, which were designed by Alexander McQueen. And these are almost like the most futuristic, like latest take on platform shoes that I think. Oh, I've seen. I know those. They yeah. look like the bull terrier, that yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah. So with the big schnoz. Yeah, and Lady Gaga like famously yes. has worn them. Um and they're just like I think they're cool looking wacky shoes. Yeah. I wish the heel I mean it looks really fucking hard to walk yeah, in. That's a tiny heel. To walk in. <laughs> yeah, the, the physics of them are crazy. Very cool. Um Oh, and then I just like did some research about whether platform shoes like inhibit driving. Oh because I, I always uh, wear my like platform like my Steve Madden ones, clompies. Really? And it like really. You're not supposed to, to drive, drive in them, right? I know, I know. So why <laughs> though? I'm like, why not? I well, don't get it. I found a study they did, and yeah, basically it really significantly slows your braking response time. And really? The shoes you wear can be used against you if you <gasps> are the like person oh. at fault in a like car crash. Wow. Case. So that was really interesting. And then okay, interesting. there's a study from the 1970s in the British Medical Journal that says that's called titled Platform Shoe Syndrome. And someone has like written in. Mm -hmm. Sir, I have seen a considerable number of young women with painful knees recently, some with effusions and all with tenderness over the patella ligament. This development has paralleled the wearing of thick soled, high heeled, so called platform shoes. It is easy to see why if one watches these girls walking, the knee is always flexed and the weight is thrown onto the anterior ligaments of the knee joint. Treatment is removal of the cause by insistence on the wearing of more sensible shoes. Uh, Which mean, just like made me laugh because it's like the girls are never doing that. The girls will simply <laughs> never do that. I think about this a lot actually because I like, okay, you've heard the retort of like, well platforms make it harder for women to run away they make our butt look bigger it's basically just like none of it is for the girls actually yeah. it's all for the gays yeah the g-a-z-e yes and i think about that a lot because when i'm getting ready to go out i'm like do i want to look incredible or do i want to be sensible and i don't have very many good like shoes so i always mm. go the sensible route but like i shoes like platform shoes they look amazing they're so powerful they're, they're fashionable they're chic they're they're powerful and i'm like i i don't i think the only solution is to make men also start wearing heels Ooh, true that would be the only way i would be yeah um and i just wanted to end by showing yeah. you a picture of lizzie mcguire's oh, cartoon so in her cute. iconic platform orange i'm a big fan of platforms because it makes me look taller without having to be a heel yes like it's it's the sensible option for yes. me if i want to lo be looking chic and tall yeah tall as someone with short legs they are a fucking godsend oh my I'm god my we're about two hours this is the longest episode we've ever done this is a this is what's what we're in for in the new year i think yeah 2023 we are well researched yes we, we have are. things to say yes we do yeah <sighs> is that right is i think that that's it I think we should, yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> we can plug now thank you for listening slay we hope you enjoyed what has been our most extensive research episode to date mm -hmm. please write in if you heard anything that 
inspired you anything that you would like to correct yeah anything if you have any at all shoe or clothing anecdotes we would love we to would hear love. them yeah if you would like to support us on patreon you can do that it's patreon.com slash slag radio and if you want to find us on social media you can do so at slag radio pod on instagram or at slag radio on tiktok our email is slagradiopod at gmail.com. Once again, please send us an email. We would love to read it. And please yeah. leave us a kind review. Yeah, a review and a five star rating. Yeah, we'd love that. As always, take care of yourself, slags. We love you. Bye. Bye.